In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. The last two candidates standing are taking their shots in the first runoff debate for mayor of Atlanta. Welcome to the special Race for City Hall edition of Politically Georgia. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, and I'm joined by one half of the AJC's expert City Hall team, J.D. Capilouto. J.D. was on the panel for Tuesday's Atlanta Press Club debate between Felicia Moore and Andre Dickens. J.D., thanks for joining. Thanks so much, Greg. How's it going? Oh, man. Uh, Not as exciting as your night last night. (laughs) Uh, I thought the debate was illuminating, fiery, informative, all at the same time. You were right there in the middle of it. What did you learn? Yeah, it was a really it was a really interesting debate. This was kind of the first time that they they had these head to head disagreements and really got to show kind of what what they think about each other and uh, in in terms of uh, politically contrasting each other and how they're going to hope to kind of differentiate themselves. And then we kind of saw the first hint at direct attacks between the two of them that we've seen since since the runoff started. Uh, it's really remained cordial, not super negative, and, and the attacks last night really still weren't at the level that we saw during the general election, but they still kind of, um, you know, got at each other a little bit over their respective records, their voting records. Um, they really tried to, you know, hit the other person and what they thought uh, were, their, were their weak points, um, and that was really on display for the first time last night. You have constantly voted no. You voted no to the belt line. You voted no to body cameras by police. You voted no to seven police budgets. You constantly voted no to so many countless things. How can the citizens of Atlanta trust that you'll be an effective leader to move the city forward when you constantly don't find a way to say yes, but you always say no? I don't always say no, and I say no when it's appropriate, and that's why the citizens of this city have said yes to me time and time again in my reelection. I spoke to the Beltline. I spoke to the budget. As it relates to the body cams, you should have also voted no. That was the most shady deal that I'd ever seen come through City Hall in my 20-plus years as an elected official. When you do a procurement in two weeks, when it typically takes six months, when the department picks a, a vendor who had a better product, and then we turn around and spend on a dime and do what the mayor's office wants and change it. You should vote no on that. The shadiest deal in her 20 years. That's a lot of shade, JD. Mm. <laughs> you were sitting there right in the middle of all this. Um, what was it like? And did they take on an edgier tone than even you thought they would? You know, I figured that it would get a little a little tense, especially because I knew the format of the debate included a thing where they could ask each other questions. And that's usually in these debates where it gets the most contentious. Uh, and so I was really curious to see kind of what form that would take. And I was thinking about it, and I really couldn't see a scenario where they just lobbed each other softballs for, for that portion. I figured it would get 
a little tense. It's actually kind of funny. The question that, that Dickens asked more about why she always votes no on things is actually similar to the first question that I asked her during the debate in the first mm-hmm. portion. Um, so if there's any proof that we don't coordinate with the with the campaigns, it's that because I asked her a similar question of what she would say to critics about her, you know, propensity to to vote no on things, and that kind of sums up, um, I think, a lot of, of Felicia Moore's uh, experience in City Hall is kind of this foil to the mayor's office, especially when Kasim Reed was mayor. You know, she voted no on the first seven budgets of his administration. And I think it's something that is now going to be used as an attack point against her, as we saw uh, for people saying, you know, if you voted no on all these things, how can you then proactively become mayor where you'll have to really say yes to a lot and, and lead the city um, in that way? Um, and, and not just tisk tisk like like Dickens said. Um, but, you know, she she had a response to that. And it's that, you know, she is very, you know, a, a budget hawk, as she said, and I think she's going to try and spin that to her advantage. Let's hear Felicia's question of, of Andre. You know, I want to talk about courage and decisiveness. Um, so you ran for the seat for the late great John Lewis for his unexpired term. Uh, you were not successful in that. Then you announced that you were running again for re-election for your post three at large seat. Uh, And then when the seat opened for mayor, once our current mayor says she wasn't running, you decided you were going to run for mayor. So is this indecisiveness or are you just an opportunist? Um, No, this is not indecision or opportunist uh, movement. What this is, is me making sure that I'm going to lead the city of Atlanta into uh, the future. And that's what I'm doing right now. I decided to run for mayor because I looked at the pool of candidates that were running and I said that this city needs a leader that has the head, the heart and the hands to get things done. And so the, the opportunity came up when Mayor Bottoms decided that she was not going to run. And I fully knew that you were in the race and others. And I said, that I want to make sure that this city is run by sure hands and an effective executive that can lead us into the future. I have the skill set and a full set of skills and experiences that have prepared me to be mayor. So I'm ready to be mayor right now. And that's why I'm here on this stage with you. Ms. Moore? Well, I'm a strong and experienced leader and I'm able to make decisions, even if those decisions are no when everyone else is saying yes, when it's the right thing to do. And so I stepped into this race at a time when no one else had the courage to do it, to move the city forward, to help us in a time that we certainly have critical issues before us. And I want to be our next mayor because I can make those tough decisions. I have the experience, I have the know-how, and I have the will to make our city better. J.D., these two candidates, they agree on a lot, hiring more police, resolving the years-long legal fight with Peoplestown residents. Um, But this debate really put on stark display the differences. And one of those differences you heard in that exchange, which is that Felicia Moore, as she says, is not afraid of voting no, including voting no for the budget year after year after year. Right. One theme that really emerged last night was, was leadership and how both of them would lead the city. And, and their different, you know, experiences and, and whether they're, you know, day one ready and, and what them, in, uh, you know, at the helm of City Hall would, would look like. Um, I thought the attack of, of Felicia Moore on Andre Dickens, you know, calling him an opportunist, I thought that was that was a new attack. I hadn't heard that one before. Um, and I think kind of this this discussion of who is really the right person for this time became clear last night, um, and, you know, in this debate over leadership and, and their respective, I guess, personalities and leadership styles. Um, yeah, I thought I thought that was pretty interesting. You know, and I really like this next exchange because the two 
told each other what they need to best improve in order to be an effective mayor? Well, I would say to move into the role of being the mayor of the city of Atlanta, it takes more than just uh, passing a couple of pieces of legislation and touting that, as well as um, just doing the job of a council member. And that's why I believe that I'm uniquely qualified to run for this position because of the things I just mentioned. I have taken and make myself a student of city government, knowing it in and out, working on the state level, working on the regional level, working on the national level, learning best practices to bring to the city, getting a master's of science in administration. And I did it purposely to focus on public administration so that I can know how to make this city better. And so I have been a student of it. I have exercised it and I've provided even counsel to uh, Mr. Dickens and other council members as it relates to the rules and operations of city government. Yeah, I think Council President Moore has to own up to the responsibility that she's had over 24 years in government. Um, being able to just point out errors and say this was bad or vote no or say you don't like this or you don't like that is not true leadership. It's about uh, taking ownership and delivering results for the people of Atlanta, particularly the all of the people that are in your district. When you were District 9 representative, you have to be able to get things done. And over 24 years, I, it, it, I would imagine that you would have to have a body of work that everybody in the city would know a lot about. And so I would say because she doesn't have that body of work, that means there are some deficiencies in how she goes about delivering results. There's a lot of tisking, saying things are bad, looking at the glass is half empty, but a mayor, a leader, a chief executive knows how to get to yes and make things happen. And so I think she lacks uh, what she can improve upon is the ability to implement and actually lead. She's mentioned she's a student. Now it's time to be the principal. Ouch. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. J.D., you've got Felicia Moore calling Andrew Dickens an opportunist who has never really been an effective leader. And Andrew Dickens saying that Council President Felicia Morris, basically a tisking insider who is not ready for prime time. Right. Again, it's that it's that debate over leadership style, and they're really trying to in a, in a debate that doesn't have really have the same dynamics as we saw in the previous two runoffs, where Mary Norwood was running against Kasim Reed and and Keisha Lance Bottoms, and their differences were very obvious and stark. In this race, they're really trying to you know energize people and and, and get out the vote, and the best way they can do that that they they it seems they believe is is really hitting the other person at, at their. Uh, based on their experience and their leadership style and saying, I'm the best person to actually implement this. A lot of it was, you know, Felicia Moore saying, you got to do more than just pass a few pieces of legislation. And then he hit right back and said, oh, well, what have you done? You've had 24 years to do something like that. So that was really illuminating for me, especially just given that um, so much of this race has remained very positive and focused on each other's, uh, their, their respective records. Now they're kind of you know, sharing their thoughts about the other person's record. So it was illuminating in that way for me. Um, the debate still focused on some policy. I don't know if we want to discuss a little bit of that. Um, there was a little bit of, of debate there, but a lot of it really focused on like what they would, why they think they're best positioned to actually get things done. I'm glad you brought that up. Before we go to our break, let's talk about a, one of the major policy issues, which is how the two will work with the state of Georgia, because we all know that lawmakers are likely to bring up the effort to allow the residents of Buckhead to secede from the rest of the city of Atlanta. And that sort of city-state relation, rebuilding those ties, will be key for whoever wins this mayor runoff. So let's hear 
from them talking about how they'd work with the state. We have to have a great relationship with the state. It is fundamental for the mayor to work with the governor and all of the state legislatures that we can. And I will make sure that I'm doing it right now. I'm not waiting to when I become mayor. Uh, I'm meeting right now. I've already met with a lot of the state representatives and state senators on both sides of the aisle, not just Democrats, but also Republicans. I've talked to Governor Brian Kemp already, uh, and I've also prepared myself to meet with the Speaker of the House, Speaker Ralston, tomorrow. Well, I don't have to start these conversations. These are things that I've been doing for the decades that I've been serving as council member and now as president of council. You know, when we were under threat of the airport takeover, I was the one that was at every hearing. I was testifying before the body. I was meeting with the author of the legislation and meeting with leadership. I've had several meetings with the governor. I've met with the lieutenant governor, was honored by the lieutenant governor, worked in cooperation with him, and he even appointed me to the Georgia Freight and Logistics Commission. J.D., I was struck by that contrast with Felicia Moore saying, I don't need to meet these people. <laughs> I've already been working <laughs> with them for years. And Andre Dickens saying, hey, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to meet Speaker Ralston today. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both trying, obviously, to, to rebuild those ties. Um, it's going to be a major question because we've seen statewide candidates. There's a lot of there's a groundswell among Republicans right now who don't live anywhere near the city of Atlanta uh, to allow Buckhead to, to DNX. Right. Those relationships are, are going obviously going to be very important going forward. To me, that answer, it still struck me as, as fairly similar. They both were kind of saying, like, we're doing that work now. Um, it was another one of those those things that I, th- I thought kind of showed, showed similarities with them, where they're both very, very open to, to having good relationships and want to repair it. Um, and again, I, you kind of saw them pivot to their leadership styles, where it was, was Dickens showing very proactive. I'm doing it now. I'm going to go tomorrow and meet with them. And then Felicia Moore saying, well, I've been in office for 24 years. I have these relationships already. It's going to come natural to me regardless. So so I thought um, that, that was kind of my takeaway from that answer. I don't know if you have any other thoughts as a, as a state politics reporter. Yeah, this is this. There is a, as I said, a groundswell uh, among Republicans to push forward with this measure. Um, this this meeting today with um, with with Speaker Ralston will be a major will be really interesting to, to hear what Speaker Ralston ends up doing because right, yeah. um, the opponents of cityhood feel like he is their best block <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to allowing this to go forward in the legislature. They feel like the votes are there in the Senate and the House is still going to be up in the air. So we'll see. There's a lot, there's a long, long way to go on that. Um, but JD, before we uh, rip back into the debate, let's take a quick break. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. Welcome back to Politically Georgia. I'm Greg Bluestein, one of the political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And if you missed it on this feed on Monday, 
Our Washington correspondent, Tia Mitchell, took the reins of this podcast to host a special roundtable focusing on the political perspectives of Black women. So when you're done listening to us, please go back and download that episode as well. We are back with AJC City Hall reporter J.D. Capilouto, tearing deeper into the debate that he helped moderate last night. Uh, J.D., I felt like one of the one of the more interesting moments were when both of the mayoral runoff candidates, Felicia Moore and Andre Dickens, tried to hang defund the police on each other. This was this is the progressive, you know, mantra about defunding the police that really never caught fire in in Georgia. Um, it became a Republican talking point all through the campaign trail, and apparently, it's going to become a uh, mayoral runoff talking point the next few weeks. So um, much has been said in many of our campaign debates and forums about the defund the police vote that you made, and you've made um, many explanations as to the vote and what it was and what it represented. But I want to ask this question related to the judgment. And what about the process, uh, and not about the process of intent, but the, judge, the judgment. So I want you to explain why you thought a vote was a positive vote to make when you were warned that it would have devastating impacts on police morale. And Ms. how are your questions? Okay. Well, uh, quite frankly, Ms. Moore, the only person that has voted to defund the police on this stage is you. When you voted seven times against the police budget while you were a city council person, I've never voted to defund the police. We haven't even taken a vote as such as city council. What I did do in 2019 was I voted to give police officers the largest raise in the history of Atlanta. And in 2020, we actually did take time out, seven council members, to look at police training and to talk about police um, operations. Our standard operating procedures was what we wanted to look at because police officers have told us that they no longer wanted to respond to mental health cases as well as homelessness. They felt like we needed a non-emergency squad for that. And so that was what we were intending to do. We were unsuccessful at that. And now we're moving forward. And that's why I have my Safe Streets plan, which is a balanced approach to safety and justice. And it's ready to make this city safe on day one. Ms. Moore, your rebuttal. Yes, $73 million set aside from the police budget. It, it, it decreased morale. It made many of our officers leave, which has left us in this crisis that we're in now with the uptick in violent crime. I have always supported our police and our firefighters and voted for amendments to those budgets, fought very hard, as a matter of fact, to make sure that they got the raises they deserved. J.D., just another reminder of how major of an impact that crime, policing, criminal justice to a degree is going to play in this November 30th runoff. Yeah, it's so fascinating for me to see kind of the defund the police argument in this race with two Democrats who really, if we're being honest, neither have really voted to defund the police. There has never been a technically a defund the police vote in Atlanta. I mean, to explain the there was a vote in 2020 uh, that would have kind of temporarily withheld $73 million in police funding while the council took a closer look at like, is is this being allocated in the best way? Um, and they were planning to look at that over the next six months. And if no decisions were made, those funds would just go back into the regular police budget. Maybe some would be moved around or or repurposed, as, as Dickens said. Um, and the votes with Moore, you know, he said she tried to defund the police. That was mostly, you know, that was... Uh, based on budget, uh, you know, 
votes that, that had police increases in them. So it, you know, is a little bit uh, of maybe a misleading attack there. But but I understand kind of the point that they're trying to make. And, and it's just interesting to see that this is becoming a hot topic um, in, in a race like this. And J.D., if you were within a 100-mile radius of Georgia this past election cycle, you heard all the defund the police attacks being leveled at John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, mm-hmm. them being accused of wanting to defund the police, even though there's no evidence whatsoever of them ever calling for that. And yeah, I think it's also really fascinating that defund the police has become a slogan in a sense, at least in this debate. Definitely. And it was it was a little bit during the um, the general election, too. You mostly saw Kasim Reed lob those attacks at Andre Dickens. Um, and now we're seeing, uh, you know, Felicia Moore do the same, which I expected I'm going into this, um, given kind of how closely watched that vote was, which eventually failed. It failed seven to eight. So it's not like, you know, any action was even taken. But um, I think her argument about police morale um, was an interesting one um, that they may have some truth behind it. I'm not sure. But um, that, that was interesting to me as well. Okay, J.D., no one has been watching the City Hall race closer than you. But to me, there was a really interesting moment that I thought broke ground when the candidates were asked what they'll do about Mayor Bottoms' cabinet members if they win. And let's listen to that cut. Yes, uh, absolutely. I can recognize that um, Mayor Bottoms uh, did make that uh, statement about having uh, done that process too late, which is why my process will start on day one. Um, I have individuals in my head that I would ask for all of them to uh, put in their resignation, and there will only be a few that I know of that I will retain. So I will be starting the day after I'm elected, starting to look at who is in place and who will be replaced. And there will be replacements. It won't be a wholesale replacement. I believe we will do it over time. I would also want to get the benefit of what they have done, what they are working on, and get that knowledge so that we can pass it on to the next team member. But I will be selecting my own team. That seemed like it broke some some new ground, J.D., yeah, and uh, I asked that question. So personally, I was a little, I was happy uh, that it kind of got got some news there because I um, honestly was was not expecting those results in uh, as candid of, of a response as, as they gave both of them, um, especially Councilman Dickens. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it was interesting. Uh, you know, they both kind of really want this kind of fresh start at City Hall. I think it, it shows that this race they're really looking to looking for to change things. Um, you know, it, they're they're hoping for a fresh start. You know, at the, at the city, um, I think their their answers were were interesting in terms of Felicia Moore wants to kind of do it in phases and not one wholesale replacement. I think she was speaking to reporters after, and I caught a little bit of her remarks. And I think she said something like, "If I could just snap my fingers and replace everyone I wanted to at City Hall, then uh, we'd have you know we wouldn't have enough people to run the city." Kind of like a joking like she does want to want to make these changes. Um, and uh, just for, for background on that question, that was um, I, Keisha Lance Bottoms said that one regret she had in office was that she didn't ask Kasim Reed's holdover cabinet appointments to resign earlier than, than she had. Um, and I think that, th- you know, these new candidates are taking that to heart and we'll, we'll do that with, with her uh, cabinet members. And look, cleaning house is hard because, yes, there's some, some folks that I'm sure they, they can't wait to get rid of to, to say goodbye to, but there's also some you know, very effective city administrators who have been there for years, who know the departments, who know what they're doing. And it's a lot harder to run a city government without those types of folks, those veteran mm-hmm. hands. Right. You have to guarantee that whoever you bring in would be better than the person who's there who might have more institutional knowledge or that sort of thing. And 
So regardless of who's elected, it's going to be really interesting to see kind of what that turnover looks like, how it functions. Is there any difference in kind of what that's like? And they both said they want to reopen City Hall um, kind of very early uh, in their administration, probably day one. So that that's exciting to me um, as a reporter to kind of get in there and see what the dynamics are and, and how folks are feeling. Yeah, that's come up in every forum, every debate that I've that I've watched is that not just those two candidates, but even before in the first round, yeah. it seemed like it was this consensus that opened the city hall. Can you give us any? Can you shed any light on why city hall remains closed and so many other government organizations? I'll be at the Capitol in, in, in an hour from now. It's been open <laughs> even during some of the darkest days of the pandemic. I'm really, you know, from from what I've heard, it's still just a, a COVID thing. Um, I mean, they are now in the green zone, so maybe it's worth asking the mayor one more time. But given that she only has, you know, now less than two months left in her term, it's, you know, it's a it's a lot of logistics to figure out how to fully reopen. It's a huge building with, you know, reopening it to the public would, would come with a lot of kinks to work out for a city that is trying to figure out a lot of things right now in terms of service delivery, staffing shortages. Um, maybe, you know, I'm just speculating, maybe they figure it's just easier to just have the staff members they need right now, rather than having all of the public in there, reporters sniffing around, uh, you know, council members and all their staffs all around all the time. So um, but I, I think for, for the new, for the candidates, they really want to put this, uh, send this message of the city is open, transparent, open for business, come talk to us, it's a new day. Um, so they're trying to really show that contrast with uh, showing they want to reopen City Hall. Yeah, and J.D. used the term fresh start earlier in our conversation. I thought that was so great because you heard both the candidates highlight that very same theme in their closing statements. Let's give a listen. Now I want to be the mayor that has the head, the heart, and the hands of a leader that can get things done. It's no longer time to have a bunch of conversations about things that don't get done. We need a chief executive right now, someone that knows how to drive home and implement things to make sure that the citizens of Atlanta see the results immediately. A part of our city is looking to leave because they want to feel safe and they want to feel heard and get the value. Well, that's the same for all of Atlanta. We need someone who has experience and the day one ready know-how to get things done in City Hall, one who has demonstrated through policy and through work and action, not only inside City Hall, but with those relationships that we need to build outside of City Hall to get the things done that we need. And I have exhibited that in all of my years. I stepped up every time that I understood that I had to take on a little bit more responsibility in order to serve the city that I love so very much. That was a pretty clear contrast, or at least an attempt to, to draw a pretty stark line between these two candidates going into this home stretch. Yeah, it really, again, it's, it's this question of leadership style and experience of who do you want at the, at the helm of your city. Um, and I think they're both kind of pitching, pitching themselves as the best and are hoping that there's enough voters out there who agree with them on that, um, or at least undecided voters right now. You know, for Felicia Moore, it's going to be the challenge of keeping those 41% of people who voted for her and then making up that additional 9%. Um, and she really can't afford to lose too many of the people who voted for her to switch to to Andre Dickens. And for Dickens, it's going to be, you know, he's going to have to get all of the Kasim Reed voters and the, keep the people who voted for him in the general and then take some, some Felicia Moore voters. So I think you're going to see it get a little bit more contentious. Early voting is open now, today. And uh, we're going to have to, they're, they're going to kind of have to, I think, might get a little bit more uh, intense when it, when it comes down to that final stretch. 
Yeah, and I wanted to ask you about that before we go, but what do you anticipate in this final stretch? Because this was the first debate. There'll be some other, this was the first televised debate. There'll be some other debates, other forums, other press conferences, endorsements, all that fun stuff. Mayor Bottoms is still going to have a big announcement probably when she endorses. We expect Andre Dickens, but who knows? Um, so there's some big key moments left, even over the Thanksgiving holiday break. Totally. And yeah, I keep forgetting that it's right over Thanksgiving um, and that, you know, election day is the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. So that'll be fun. But um, I, I think, you know, in the general, we saw this pattern of there was kind of the press club debate is the debate that really like opened the floodgates for this like wave of kind of tension between the candidates and the next few debates were kind of equally as tense. And they're like, oh, we can argue now, like it, it's all fair game. And so I think maybe over the course of the next few days, you might see a little bit more of these dynamics play out between the two of them kind of going at it um, when it comes to their leadership styles. And I know, Craig, you're moderating a debate uh, coming up soon. So I'm looking forward to see kind of how that plays out. And then I think just like we saw in the general, it might cool off a little bit while they just go fully get out the vote um, energy uh, and kind of turn to that. But I'm really curious to see. We'll be um, with the candidates shadowing them uh, this this weekend. Um, Will and I will. So I'm excited to see kind of uh, a day in their life and what they're really focused on these in this last week or two. That'll give you a really good insight on their priorities in this home stretch. And JD, it's always so great to have you on this show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Always good to talk. Uh, don't forget listeners to rate, review, follow, and subscribe to this podcast. I'll be back on Friday with our political insider columnist, Patricia Murphy to recap the week. And don't forget to check out The Jolt every morning. Patricia, Tia Mitchell, and myself work together every day and night to provide you with the most complete political tip sheet in Atlanta. You can only get this newsletter if you subscribe to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Thank you. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh, oh, oh.